This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode five, and we're recording on July 28th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Sharifa? Nothing much. I'm awake. I've had my coffee. I'm wearing my <laughs> unicorn shirt, so everything is good right now. <laughs> unicorn shirt. Excellent. I know. It's like my lucky shirt. I don't know is why. Is it the Book Riot one or a different one? No, I wish it was the Book Riot one. I've been I've been eyeing that one. But it's just like some random like Forever 21, <laughs> probably meant for children shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best shirts. They are. They are. I refuse to grow up. So how uh, are you I doing? Mean, I'm good. I'm good. I successfully assembled a three-foot-tall cat jungle tree oh, yeah. thing all by myself today. <laughs> it's probably like Ikea. I feel like putting a cat tree together is like putting Ikea furniture together. I will tell you that the instructions on this were better than any Ikea product instructions I've ever okay. gotten. <laughs> like all of the parts had a number and the pictures would like show you which number things you were putting together. It's genius. Like Ikea needs to get on board with the numbering. <laughs> they do. And not having like, like 20,000 bolts and screws come uh, with things. Don't even get me started. I can't even. I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. All right. So so today, our topic for our book discussion is middle grade fantasy and science fiction, which I'm super excited about because I forget sometimes how much I love middle grade books. So this was a great opportunity to find some new ones and to revisit some old ones. So yeah, I'm excited. I am the same way. I love to... I tend to go toward like middle grade reads when especially when I need like a little bit of a pick-me-up or just Mm. you know I just want to relax and read something quick because sometimes you get into those really long epic fantasies and you just need something you can you can get through yeah but that are super enjoyable as well they are absolutely yeah like different kinds of problems than grown-up problems which I appreciate um, as a grown-up. Grown-ups are the worst. Um, okay, so but before we get into that, we are going to talk about some news. We have a bunch of stories today. We'll see how many we actually get through. Um, and before we do that, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Vanguard by Anne Aguirre. This is the fourth book in her Razorland saga, which I have read the first one. I'm, like, really terrible about series right now. I'm at least two or three books behind on every series I'm reading, (laughs) including this one. Same, same. But if you're not familiar, it takes place, uh, the Razorland saga takes place in a future with zombies because, you know... Nine out of ten possible futures include zombies, right? Like, that's how life works. Um, And so... (laughs) 
So, and it follows the adventures of some various teenagers who are trying to exist and survive in this world. Uh, There's great action, there's romance. So if you are a person who loves books like The Hunger Games, Divergent, The Maze Runner, anything like, you know, post-apocalyptic future where people have to live in tunnels and practice all of their survival skills, this is definitely a series that you're going to want to pick up. So that, again, the fourth book is Vanguard in the Razorland saga. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And um, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with this, uh, the 27 female authors? Yeah, let's start with that. Okay, great. So I saw this come up. It was, um, it's basically a list of 27 female authors who rule science fiction and fantasy right now, and it's from Entertainment Weekly. And the reason they posted this list, it was a response to an article that came out from a place called National Review. And in their article, they dismissed the Bechdel test, and they basically wrote off an absence of women in blockbuster films because of the lack of women writing blockbuster were these stories and then they said that uh, this is the quote from them have a wander through the sci-fi and fantasy section of your local bookstore how many of these books authors are female yet these are where the big movie ideas come from so basically saying like there are no women in science fiction and fantasy who write these blockbuster ideas which is you know, can, I, can we like can we pause for a second? I would really love to yeah. know where this reviewer shops so I can never go to that bookstore. Seriously, because it seems to me that you have to be deliberately curating your bookshelves to not have an abundance of women in your sci-fi fantasy section. Like that seems like a very deliberate choice because it. I mean, if Entertainment Weekly can come up with 27, like Entertainment Weekly, right? Yeah. Like not exactly known <laughs> as a genre outlet. Let's be no. real here. Like it's, you, what, what bookstore? I don't, I just, I have, I have my, like my, I, my face twitches when I read that <laughs> sentence because I just Flames. don't understand what bookstore you're going into. Like what, what, where are you? Where I have are never you? seen this bookstore and I made yeah, the no. mistake of going to this national review site. Oh no. And it was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like the whole place. Scrub your eyeballs. <laughs> it's not, it's not a good place. So I feel like, I mean, in my mind, this guy must have been, like, talking out of his you-know-what. Like, has he even been in a science fiction and fantasy section? No. I'm not sure. (laughs) No. It seems unlikely. It seems unlikely. So that, like, drove me mad. And then I felt a lot better looking at this Entertainment Weekly list. I was kind of... I was a little bit like, oh, well, do would Entertainment Weekly be the place where they would come up with, um, you know, like a list I could get behind for science fiction and fantasy? Because I don't know, like, what they post about science fiction and fantasy. Like you said, they're not, like, necessarily known for talking about the genre in terms of books and things. But it's a really good list. I really like their list. Like, Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, this is an, this is an excellent list. This is it is. List. Like, I could come up with. A whole reading list based on it. They have like Cameron Hurley and of course Nnedi Okorafor who is coming out with a movie. So mm-hmm. there you go. Take that. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Thank you. 
um, and Melinda Lowe and Mel, uh, you know Melka Older. So mm-hmm, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I and loved Kate it. Jemison's I was so glad. on here. And Lucky's yeah. on there. Charlie Jane Anders is on there. Like it's a lot of the usual suspects. But then they had a few that I had not read or um, or was surprised that they included. Like they got Sophia Samatar, who's not as big as I want her to be. Like I want her to be huge, but she's, yeah. She's not yet, but they they got her in there. Like it's a it's a solid list. Yes, so, I agree. I, I I wave my wand of approval at this. Yeah. List. <laughs> that is awesome. I do too. I do too. And so, <laughs> SFF yeah gives it two wands. Two wands of approval. <laughs> it's like the I forgot what the in living color thing was. Two snaps and a something. Somebody remind me if you remember too. Gosh, yeah. It was a long time ago. It was. It was. So yeah, you should definitely check out the list and and we'll include it in the show notes. It's it's really good. And I think it was a really good response to this absolutely awful article. All right, next, I want you to talk to me about the Shirley Jackson Award list because I have managed. Well, they announced the winners, and I have managed oh, not yeah. to read a single one of these. I haven't read oh, any yeah. of them. It never happens to me. They picked – it's the one Victor Laval I haven't read. Like, literally, I've read everything else he's written. You know what? Usually, I'm the same way. Like, I, I have never paid as much attention to these lists as I have very recently, like this year. Mm. So, um, yeah, the 2016 Shirley Jackson Awards were announced. Uh, they were announced at ReaderCon, and um, – of course, they're about exceptional work in literature, psychological suspense, horror, and dark fantasy. And as a matter of fact, the only book I've read on this list is the Victor Lavelle. I just <laughs> finished it last weekend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> every nice. episode is turning into a Victor Lavelle episode. It's I mean, every with good reason. With yeah. Good reason. <laughs> but the Ballad of Black Tom, like, I'm really glad it made the list. I really, really enjoyed the book and it's you know it's a novella it was such a quick read um and i wanted to read that just because i purchased that before i got the changeling in so i was mm. like be responsible and read the books you have first <laughs> and don't jump just because everybody's talking about the changeling so i actually read the the ballad of black tom and i highly recommend it and now it's won an award it won for the best novella um and you know The Girls by Emma Klein, which won the best novel, I've been hearing a lot about it, and it's just one of those things I have not been able to get a chance to read yet. Yeah, it, there was a lot of noise when it came out. And you know, it's funny, I forget, because like, you don't, you would not, There, I, I really cannot think of another list on which you would see Emma Klein next to Victor Laval yeah. at like a winner list. Like, that's a weird combination. But Shirley Jackson is weird, was a weird writer, and her award is like very, you know, like they say, psychological suspense, horror, dark fantasy, and and yeah, I guess the girls qualifies under psychological suspense. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. I was yeah. surprised about that as well. I was like, is there like some sort of like, fantasy like is I'm pretty sure I'm the missing? answer is no <laughs> this is one of those things this is one of those lists where if you define speculative fiction as like anything you can't really define you put it into speculative fiction that is probably about where this list belongs but it's interesting it's a pretty short list um you could probably read all of these all of the winners like this year if you wanted I am not necessarily that person but feel free. <laughs> so, 
So that was that for that. I don't know if there's anything for me to say more about it, except that I love Victor Lavelle. Fan club. We're the fan club. We're the fan club. Uh, well, speaking of things that have won awards, because there yes. are so many. I know. The, <laughs> so we, we talked about when uh, Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead was nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Uh-huh. And, and like my having to retrain my brain to think about it as speculative fiction rather than just sort of like a slightly tilted History, which I get, you know, all the history, that's what it is. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, it won. It won. <laughs> Underground Railroad won the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which Amazing. is like, it's crazy. It's sweeping <laughs> the awards this year. It, it got a Pulitzer and the National Book Award, and it's on the long list for the Man Booker Prize. And like now it won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Like, is there a genre of award that this book has not won? The answer is basically no. It is no. And I feel like maybe it is because, like, it's so hard to pin it down to a genre. It could almost just be anywhere it wants to be in terms of being awarded. So, and it's such a good book. It's so compelling and it's so important that, I mean, I'm really glad. I'm glad to see it sweeping the awards. It's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's got some nice quotes in this Guardian piece that we're going to link to. Um, he said that the book could not exist without the toolkit of fantastic liter- literature, um, and that when he was 10, it was science fiction and fantasy that made him want to be a writer. And uh, so, you know, he... I, I, I I appreciate how open he is about loving genre fiction because yeah. it's not a thing you hear very often from like literary like acclaimed literary people, right? Like that's not that's not a thing that happens as much as I would like. So that is lovely. That is very lovely. Yeah, and the book is amazing. Like really, it's it's not a surprise. It is not a surprise that the it's book not. is sweeping the awards. It's so good. It's funny though because I. Uh, in the in the bookish world, like, things come out at a certain time, and then they start winning awards, and now I feel like the Underground Rail- Railroad has been around for such a long time. I'm like, wait a second, it's still new enough to be nominated for or to win all of these awards? Like, <laughs> it just, the awards, like, turn my head, but... Uh, well, yeah. that and getting things in advance, right? So it's a, it's a double combo, because you're looking at things that have been out for like at least a year sometimes with these awards. And then we get them six months ahead of time, half the time. Yeah. So like, it's like 18 months worth of time where you could forget that the book is actually still new. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good reminder though. Like I almost, yeah. it feels like it's been long enough where I could almost reread it if I wanted yeah. to. So yeah. Congratulations, Colson Whitehead. Yes. Congratulations. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're going on. Do you want to go on to the next award? <laughs> Let's just do it. And the next award goes to. <laughs> well, it's it has not been. So the nominees have been announced yeah. for the World Fantasy Awards for 2017, <clears throat> which I think is the first year that people get the creepy tree, um, the new award statue. I'm looking at is, the statue right now, and I was like, yes. wow, that is a 
that is a frightening thing to put on your mantle. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like less horror. frightening than what it was previously. Do oh, you know this right. whole backstory? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That you just well, reminded me. You tell. We'll link to a piece about the statue. I, we don't have enough time to get into it. Like, that's yeah, a whole other right. show's worth. Right. But we'll pop <laughs> a link in the show notes about why there is a new statue um, for any of you who don't already know. But yes, okay, so the World Fantasy Award nominees have been announced. And it's, I mean, it's like a murderer's row of excellent stuff. You know, um, Michelle Baker's Borderline is on here, which has been making the rounds as well. Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemison. We've got course. Victor Laval again, Shannon McGuire, Kaya Shanti Wilson, whose books I love. Oh I my have goodness. to read. I have to read. I have not oh, yet. You have, <laughs> if you're going to just read one, okay. I think I loved A Taste of Honey, like, incrementally more than Sorcerer of the Well Deeps, but they're both so good. Oh okay. Well, what I don't understand about this, to be perfectly honest, is why that, like, they called their novella section long fiction, which... Oh, it, it yeah. It doesn't make... Because then they've also got a short fiction, which I'm wondering if, does that mean, like, flash fiction? Like, what is the word count on these? Because long fiction if you don't know any better, implies that it's potentially longer than a novel, but they're not. Like, these are, this yeah. is definitely the novella section. It's very odd. I, do, I don't understand that. Why um, wouldn't they just use the word novella? Like, well, because it, the short fiction is very obviously, like, it's short stories. They're all in, like, Strange Horizons and Uncanny. Yeah. And so yeah. maybe it, they must have some sort of weird sure academic reason, but i have not been able to find if anybody knows i i did look and i did not i didn't find anything so if anybody can point me towards why that category is called long fiction i would be very curious to hear the reasons yeah and they have they also have some other categories here that uh, oh, yes. aren't strange in terms of like right. the naming but they have other categories you don't normally see on on literary lists like the artist category and professional special award I can't really tell Oh, yeah, I no, the, like the World Fantasy Awards are, like, they really are very... Um, Expansive. Yeah, and there's there's an, uh, there's a there's a comp for this in, in regular awards, but I don't know ever which awards are which. But, like, it's like, like you know, the sound awards. guy. Yeah, technical but, awards. Yeah, technical awards, exactly. And I always appreciate that um, that they do have artists and, and professionals and non-professionals and, you know, all of the people. Because the sci-fi community is so big and, like, it really does take a village. Uh, and it's nice to see people getting their names in there yeah. for, you know, things other than, oh, you wrote, a, you wrote a new book. Like, it's awesome that you wrote a new book, but it's also awesome that, like, you know, Fireside Fiction is doing the work that it's doing, for example, or yeah. that Kelly Link is, you know, nominated for contributions to the genre. Like, yes, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I support it, too. That is really awesome of them. Mm-hmm. So that's another list. There are yeah. so, so many lists right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we have time for one more thing. So, okay. will you let me pick? Will you let me? You pick let the thing? you pick. You pick. Okay. Because I really want to talk about this Kickstarter while everybody still has time to back it. So yes. Yeah, there's a new Uncanny Magazine Kickstarter doing a special issue called Disabled People Destroy Science Fiction, and you should back it. This whole Destroy series is 
amazing. I have it backed, I think, possibly all of them. They've done women destroy science fiction, queers destroy science fiction, people of color destroy science fiction. Like, they're, they're, they're searching out marginalized voices and doing special editions of their short fiction, you know, magazine. And they're amazing. I found some of my favorite authors through these collections. Like, they're really, really good. Um, the delivery is pretty solid. Like, you can get an ebook version and it, you know, comes in your email and you put it on your device or whatever. Um, there's all kinds of different perks. They have some nice perks in there. But I just, I really cannot wait to read these stories. They have stories and essays and poems. Um, you can see who's contributing on the Kickstarter too. So yeah, shameless plug. I mean, I have nothing to do with this aside from being super, <laughs> super excited about it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. No, it's the, so yeah, that's the Disabled People Destroy Science Fiction. Have you ever read any of these? I like, I'm now, I'm like planning to forward you something if you haven't. <laughs> I have the queer, I have the queer one, the queer oh, anthology. Good. I have not read it yet though. I just bought it like two weeks ago. It, the Kickstarter is obviously over, but they still have um, yes. the PDF. So I just bought that because I was like trying to find, and this is a thing, like I'm glad for these Kickstarters too, because I think, because I consciously look for, um, you know, works by marginalized writers, and it can be really difficult. Like, I found mm -hmm. some, there are some times where I'm, like, online for hours looking. And so, yeah, this is a great way to find new authors you love. And so I was excited when I saw this. I'm glad you added it. Yeah, I have, like, Nisi Shawl on there, too. That's awesome. I know, I know. It's nice to There's, see her, her yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Cool. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for our news today. Um, and next up, we want to talk to, about our next sponsor, which is Genius the Con by Leopoldo Gout. Um, and this book is about three brilliant teens from around the world who basically have to work together to stop a vicious warlord, protect their families, and save the world in a fast-paced sequel to... So the first book is Genius the Game, so this is the sequel. And Genius the Game, uh, book one in the series, is out in paperback now. And the book features a really diverse cast with characters from around the world, including China, India, and Nigeria. And it's kind of interesting because the author, he's a writer, artist, and a filmmaker. He's from Mexico, and he's also done some award-winning films, like he's done Days of Grace, and he worked on the sci-fi drama Zoo, which was really interesting. So this book is getting a lot of buzz. It also got some buzz from James Patterson. The cover is really cool, by the way. Like, I, I got the two books, and like a child, I was holding it up to the sunlight because it's reflective. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a sucker for covers, so I feel like every time I talk about a book, I have to talk about the cover. But yeah, so pick it up. That's Genius the Con by Leopoldo Gout. And now I guess we can talk about our recommendations yes. for middle grade, middle grade fantasy and sci-fi. Um, do you want to go first or you go you first? Want me to go first? Okay. So my first pick, I'm going to start off with fantasy. And so I picked a book I just read. It's The Crystal Ribbon, uh, sorry, The Crystal Ribbon by Celeste Lim. And I kept seeing, like I was saying, I am obsessed with book covers. I kept seeing the book cover on Instagram and I was like, what is this book? I have to get it. 
Um, it came out earlier this year in January, and I was super amped because it takes place in medieval China. So the Crystal Ribbon is about um, the sort of turbulent adventures of a girl named Li Jing who's born in a village where her, fa her father is a farmer. She lives with her aunt. Her mother passed away when she was very young. Um, but she lives with her aunt, her grandmother, and her father. And there's this really lovely scene in the beginning about harvesting tea leaves. So the book has a lot of that uh, beautiful imagery, uh, but it's not all quaint and pretty in their very agrarian lives. It seems very calm and very peaceful at the beginning. But the family struggles with money, and the sacrifices they make to make ends meet are what eventually send Li Jing down a really dark path. Like, this book is for middle grade readers, but it gets pretty real and pretty dark, I have to say, which I totally love, and I know that there are middle grade readers out there who love that too. Um, so Li Jing is tied to this deity, uh, deity called uh, the Great Huli Jing, who saved the village once upon a time, and she's totally captivated by her father's story about the Huli Jing. Uh, he saw it as a boy, but she's also really embarrassed about the similarity between her name and the Huli Jings, and this brat in the village makes fun of her for it. But she's tied to the Huli Jing in more ways than she knows, and when her family is forced to swap her for basically five silvers, uh, she gets sent away to this family where she's the bride of a very unlikely suitor, and she needs all the mythological help she can get, but luckily she meets this company of creatures. Um, it feels very Snow White, except there's like spiders and things that you wouldn't normally associate with Disney movies and princesses. Like good <laughs> spiders or bad spiders? It's a good spider. It's good. Oh. It's like a, the, a Charlotte's Web type spider. Oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> it's a Charlotte. <laughs> 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 I totally, I, I'm not good with spiders either, so. Um, but there's also a beautiful fox. Uh, and both of these characters, they don't want to see her perish. And there are definitely moments in the book where you're like, how is she going to survive this? She is going through so many horrible things. She basically gets treated like dirt by all sorts of people, especially the adults. The adults, like, I was shaking my fist at the adults this whole book. Um but it's not all hopeless, sad times. There is a silver lining, a crystal ribbon in the story. And it's oh, I see <laughs> what you did there. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this is sounding cheesy as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> but, I'm, here for you. I'm here for your puns, Sharif. I'm here for them. Thank you. Thank you. I need the support. So it's a... It's not only a tale that pulls from, like, Chinese mythology and history, which it does a really good job of. Um, it's also a story of perseverance and of a young girl making her own path and fighting for her freedom, both internally and with the outside world. And there are a lot of really interesting settings and characters. So this would be great, especially for middle graders with, like, an adventurous spirit and kids who want to know more about different parts of the world and different, you know, histories from the around the world. And, of course, the same goes for adults. So, again, that was The Crystal Ribbon, and that was by Celeste Lim. All right. My fantasy pick – well, okay. First, I have an honorable mention. I want yeah. <laughs> to mention the very nearly honorable League of Pirates series by Caroline Car Carlson, which is a delight. Um, it's about a girl who wants – her father is like a captain of ships, maybe an admiral. I can't remember exactly. And he – she has grown up around boats and she wants nothing more than to be a sailor. 
but um, and a pirate, and she like applies to join the very nearly honorable <laughs> League of Pirates. But she's a girl, so she's not allowed. So she gets sent to finishing school. And runs away with a stone gargoyle, and then her governess, like, follows her, and they end up on the high seas, and all kinds of exciting magical things happen, and it's super fun. Um, so, but that's that's just my honorable mention. Let me tell you about my number one pick for middle grade fantasy, which is Bayou Magic by Jewel Parker Rhodes. I have read this author before. She wrote a great novel about... New Orleans uh, called Voodoo Dreams, Ooh. a novel of Marie Laveau. Have you read that one? No, but I keep running into it. So yeah. it's really, She's is it really great. good. I really like her work a lot. Um, and she, so this is her middle grade work, which I was excited to see that she's done one. Also takes place in the South. Um, and it's about a girl named Maddie who every summer one of her sisters goes to spend the summer with her grandmother who lives like deep in the bayou um, and they live in New Orleans and every summer her sisters who are all older than her come back and be like it's the worst she like makes you sweep and do chores and it's dumb and you know blah 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 they hate it Um, and and then they're like and she's a witch and you know things are scary and she's just like oh my gosh I don't don't know what to do about this Um, and so but it's her turn And so she has to go, and her mom takes her to go stay with her grandmother. And it turns out that not only is her grandmother great, but that Maddie actually maybe has some powers of her own that her grandmother can teach her to use. And there's this great uh, sidekick character, a little boy named Bear, um, who she gets to run around with and have adventures. And one day when they're out fishing, she thinks she sees a mermaid in the water, but nobody else has seen it, so she has to figure out, like, did she imagine it? Is it real? And then things get things do get real in this book. There's an oil <laughs> leak. There's a big tanker out in the Gulf, um, you know, pumping oil, uh, and there is a leak, and some really sad stuff happens, um, like, super sad, and she has to try to figure out, like, if there's anything she can do with these newfound powers to, like, help the situation. And it's just, it's beautifully written. It's so, like, vibrant. You really feel like you're there. Um, it's just, it, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. That sounds great. It actually reminds me of it. There's this, it must maybe be inspired by it, but there's this folktale, an African-American folktale that's in this picture book I have called Her Stories. And it reminds me a lot of that. It's about a little girl who gets taken, you know, into this underwater world by a mermaid, which, of course, I was enthralled by. So now I have to read that book. Definitely. Well, so I think – I don't know the history of this, but I think the mermaid in the story is based on uh, a folktale or, or it's implied to be based on a folktale. There's um, – the grandmother is telling Maddie the story of how their ancestors came to America because they're black, so they came over on the slave ships. And there's a story about a young girl and a goddess of the water who follows her uh, to America, even though the girl, like, thinks that she's been abandoned. Like, it was really sweet and really – I'm having, like, feelings all over again oh, no. talking about this. It was really sweet and really sad. Um, and so, the, yeah, there's all kinds of this, like, sort of full folklore and and like cultural traditions woven into the the powers and the supernatural stuff in the book so it yeah it was really it was really well done I loved it wonderful that sounds Mm -hmm. fabulous yeah okay so um 
Now I'm, I'm going to talk about my science fiction pick. I really pulled <laughs> from the past with this one. Um, and I chose Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator by Roald Dahl, which is in fact the sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, if you did not know that. Um, so even before I get to my caveat about how this book leans more science fantasy than straight up science fiction, uh, I did not realize until I was looking into the history of this book that Roald Dahl was so disappointed in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1971 film, that he refused to let Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator go to screen, which was really surprising to me because I love Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I can. I mean, it's so hard to know what a contemporary of that movie would think, right? Because we're looking back at it as like a cult classic kind of yeah, thing. That's but true. But if you were like, if you were a dude who was like, oh yes, make a movie for kids out of my book that is for children. Like, I'm not sure Gene Wilder is what you want. I, know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just a guess. Gene Wilder was like an interesting casting, but he's such a genius. And I agree. I agree. I, I loved him as Willy Wonka. Anyway, end of rant. Um, so yeah, this book is more science fantasy, but I really think it's a good one, especially for kids who would otherwise be unwilling to try science fiction if they've already come up with their own ideas about what the genre is or, you know, they haven't even read any science fiction. Uh, because you have the tried and true Cho uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory story, and then you also now get space travel. And I do not think this book would have made for a good film, but <laughs> but it is a good story. Um, so that scene in the book and in the movie where Charlie is flying over his town and the music is all cheerful and everyone's all happy. In the sequel, basically the smiles are wiped off their faces after they pick up Charlie's uh, family and Grandma Josephine has this conniption fit and she ends up sending them all into deep space with the glass elevator and the whole bed that the grandparents are sleeping in because they refuse to get up even to be taken to this new luxurious life uh, thanks to Charlie. But of course, good old Grandpa Joe is standing and he's around to help. But so they end up at a space hotel owned by the U.S. government. It's, the story is so weird. <laughs> they end up at this hotel and this is where all sorts of new problems develop, where the U.S. government gets involved because they don't know who or what has taken up residence in this hotel. And Willy Wonka starts talking gibberish to them, and they think they're aliens. And then the vernicious nids, who famously prey upon the Oompa Loompas, the vernicious nids arrive, and... They can, like, spell out letters with their bodies. And they arrive to wreak havoc on everybody at the hotel. And Charlie's grandparents still refuse to move from their beds. <laughs> so it's up to Charlie, Wonka, and Grandpa Joe to save planet Earth from these hostile aliens before they can return to the chocolate factory and, you know, give Charlie what's his. And... I actually came across this story before I ever knew what Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was when I was like six, because there was an excerpt of the book in this children's anthology that I literally read to pieces. Um, 
And it had bits from, like, the adventures of Baron Munchausen and the really depressing version of The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it didn't – when I read it, it really didn't help that this story was excerpted because I had no idea what an excerpt was. And I thought the whole story ended where the vernicious nids arrived and all hell broke loose, which was very jarring for a child. <laughs> But here I am today, and I can say it is just as weird a story now as it was then, but in that wonderful role, doll way. And it does not end with Nids gobbling everyone up. So that was Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. And if somebody doesn't know the first story well enough to follow this one along, there is no time like the present to read the first book and watch the movie because Gene Wilder is a delight. I'm sorry, role doll. <laughs> <laughs> I I think this is where I have to confess that I've never actually read Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I certainly have not read. I feel like I I am sitting here shocked that Roald Dahl wrote like a kids lost in space novel. I had no idea. <laughs> um, I don't think not a lot even of a clue. Know. Not a clue. Yeah, I'm, I'm I did not know. And because I know I read James and the Giant Peach and hated it as a kid. Like that was really? not. I really <laughs> did not like it. I I just I don't know if it was because I already didn't like peaches that much, but. <laughs> So, like, the thought of, like, living in one that was, like, slowly going moldy and you have to eat the peach every day. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's my – that's, like, an actual nightmare, right? <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. So, Matilda. How I about know, Matilda? Not, yeah. I I actually I, – I haven't read Matilda. I know I haven't read Matilda. There's a few. I don't know how much real doll – I probably have not read more than I have read. Let's put it that way. Um, but now I feel like I should fix this because that sounds bananas and <laughs> worth, worth the, like, you. hour that it will take me to read it. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. It's a very short read. So yeah. totally recommend it. Interesting. All right. Well, so my pick for sci-fi middle grade is Unidentified Suburban Objects by Mike Jung, which is so entertaining. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so this is about a girl named Chloe Joe. This one is a little bit older. I think um the main characters in Bayou Magic are like between nine and eleven. Um, and same for very nearly honorable League of Pirates. Like they're definitely younger. Um this one is about a 12-year-old girl named Chloe Cho who is like you're a pretty average 12-year-old girl, except for that she is the only Asian person in her town. She's the only Asian girl in her school, uh, or her family, rather, the only Asian people in town, and and, um, she's the only Asian girl in her school. And, you know, she's, like, pretty – she's used to it at this point. Like, she's used to people, you know, not knowing the difference between Chinese and Japanese and Korean. She's used to everybody comparing her to this violinist Abigail Yang, who she also plays violin, but everybody always has to be like, oh, you're the next Abigail Yang. Um, (laughs) And she's, like, kind of just used to it, and she's just like, Um, And the real problem is that her parents don't ever want to talk about their family history. Every time she asks them a question about it, they change the subject. And they don't seem to mind being the only Asian family in town. And Chloe just just kind of doesn't get it. Like, she just doesn't understand what is up with them. And then one day, a new teacher comes to town, Miss Lee, who is Korean-American. And Chloe is so excited because finally she's going to have somebody to talk to about this. Um, Except there's a great big twist in the middle of the book. And I can't tell you what it is without (laughs) spoiling everything. 
but it's big is <laughs> what I will say. Um, and this Chloe is such a great narrator because she's so cranky. Like I love <laughs> a cranky narrator. I really do love a cranky narrator when the author pulls it off well. And the, he really does in this. She like, she's not afraid to yell at people and she is like a good student, but she's also like a little bit of like a rebel and um, like not in ways that are going to damage her grades, but like when she asks a question, she expects to get an answer. Like, and she's <laughs> not above like telling adults what she thinks they are doing wrong when they're doing something that she thinks is wrong and she also is feeling all of her feelings as 12 year olds are wont to do so there was times when you know she's doing something on the page and I'm like oh Chloe like oh "Oh, don't do it like it's not that's not what you want but you know (laughs) you can't tell a 12 year old that that's not what they want to do you really can't Uh, you really cannot and it was so well captured like I really I really enjoyed it a lot and like it's wacky and it's fun but it also is about alienation and it's about identity and like family secrets and and there's a lot of stuff in here that I think will be it's like it manages to be a very funny entertaining middle grade book that also like tackles some serious issues in a really wacky way so that is all I will say about that because you should all read it so you can find out the twist yourself very entertaining. Uh, and that's The Unidentified Suburban Object by Mike Jung. I like the sound of this book and that character. <laughs> I am with you on cranky characters. Yeah, it reminded me also, and actually the book shouts out um, Millicent Min, Min, wait, Millicent Min, Girl Genius. I believe that is the name of the book. Have you, do you know about this I book? I have not read that one, no. Oh my gosh, also super fun. <laughs> it's not science fiction or fantasy. It's like much more realistic, but it has a, an excellent like, sort of eye-rolly, very intelligent main character. Poor Millicent. She's like a prodigy. And so she's like going to college classes as like still like a junior high student or something like that. And so you know things about what's going on around her that she doesn't know. And you're just like, oh my goodness, Millicent, like what is going to happen to you? But she's great. She's really great. I have feelings about these things apparently. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it it, it did remind me anyway. And then when the like the girl in the in unidentified suburban objects is like, oh, and my favorite book is Millicent Girl Genius. I was like, Oh, oh, I love that. Um, it's like a one big happy book family. So, oh, cool. Well, mm. I hope that some of these uh, rang your bell to the readers out there. And we thank you so much for listening. And of course, you can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, we would love to hear what you think and to get your feedback. And you can, of course, also talk to us online. I'm mostly at Instagram. You can find me at szainab, Z-A-I-N-A-B, Williams. And I'm on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. So happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.